ladies and gentlemen, I know the concept of folding phones has only been a thing in the past few years and has actually become a thing in the past year, but can we stop calling them folding phones? They're really tablets that just happen to fold, so yeah. In the world of public enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. From the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've all had a good week. I have come down with a cold because life just doesn't like me at the moment. It's just just how it goes, I guess. As soon as it gets cold, I actually grab, I actually get one. So that's just that's just great. So uh, it's the first it's the first day today of properly feeling cold, if that makes any sense. Like the past couple of weeks or so have just been a bit. You know, just purgatory, like, you know, just some days 20 degrees and then some days it's 12, 10. So you didn't know what to do. But now today was truly just straight up cold. It was just, I was just not feeling it. And it's only the beginning because I didn't even see my breath. So just, um, that's just, that's just how life goes. And in typical fashion, I, in typical British fashion, I talk about the weather once again to start the show. (laughs) I'm such an idiot. Anyway, happy Black History Month, everybody. It is, as I record, the 2nd of October, and yeah, it is Black History Month, which um, is year by year becoming more of, is growing in importance to me, um, part, of, part of which is that I just have a vendetta against the concept of Halloween. I, I just don't, I, I don't, I don't partake in Halloween. I have never partook, well, I've never wanted to partake in Halloween, and I just, I just hate it in all forms, and it's just, it's just whack, it's just whack, it's, it's, it's not even a holiday, but you lot treat it as, you lot put more effort into Halloween than you do with pretty much anything else, like, it's, it's probably Christmas for you lot, and then Halloween, and then everything else, let's be real, let's be real about it, let's, let's talk about it, so, because, I, I just don't understand you lot's fashion, fascination with Halloween. And what pisses me off is that we actually have a month of black history, of UK black history, uh, of, a, of a possibility for it to be celebrated in a way that, you know, should be, you know, of importance. But hey, no, Halloween, right? You know, it it don't make sense. It It just does not make sense. I've seen more Halloween. Uh, I've seen more Halloween stuff than Black History Month stuff so far. And it's only the second of October, so you know. Hopefully, hopefully BHM can come back. But yeah, the fact the fact that I'm see I see memes in this September just so it's just preparing for the fact that it's going to be October. It's just it's just a joke to me. But uh, anyway, that's how it goes. And hopefully, um, I can uh, sh- do my best in shining a light to UK Black History Month as I as I've been wanted to do for a, for a while. So. Um, yeah, well, we we shall see how it goes. But anyway, formalities before we begin. Got a nice old regular show uh, today. Uh, formalities before we begin. We have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG, and we also have the Facebook uh, for any of you that are for some reason on Facebook. And we actually have a Facebook story today, so uh, we <laughs> we shall see how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, without further ado, let the beat drop. 
let's get into the show. So I haven't done it in a week where simply because um, it usually it usually takes like a it requires a different sort of effort. So you know how you just you know how you just you know think of something and you like write it down. It's kind of that. It's it's literally that. So in the past week, I've literally just had a hell of a week. It's just been it's just been a lot of stuff going on. So I've literally just had no time to just think about the show ahead and actually think about what is worth talking about this week in terms of in a week where so i don't have an in a week where but um if i could just sh- shout one out is uh the uh well actually you know what i'll stop there because uh we're not going to talk about that right, right now because that's the sports topic but instead we'll go for life well one of two life topics today and it's a it's a it's an article by the verge <laughs> And it's a full transcript of a leaked internal Facebook meeting featuring uh, CEO creator of Facebook Mark Zuckerberg. And this is a um, this is a fascinating uh, piece of piece of writing here because um, there's a lot there's a lot to think about when you think when when it comes to Facebook and the future of Facebook and the future of I guess big tech you know big tech businesses and uh, how and how governments uh, try to, I guess, uh, rein in their power. Because I think that's a genuine thing in terms of the influence that big tech has. I don't really think uh, we actually have a grasp on how powerful they are in terms of Facebook, Twitter, Google, you know, all the, all the, all those big, all the, all that big stuff. Um, and you could also throw like, you know, people like Amazon in there as well, but that's sort of, that's a, that's kind of a little bit of a different conversation. Uh, that's more about e-commerce and just, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, just, just e-commerce and other stuff like that. But when it comes to Facebook, obviously because Facebook is the biggest out of, out of all of them, and well, well, in its cell phones, Instagram and WhatsApp. So you know, that's just that's two pretty heavy hitters right there, and they're under the Facebook umbrella. So uh, we have, and that's not even talking about Facebook as a, as its own site. So uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty staggering in terms of the power that Facebook have. But there was these. So like I said, we're talking about this uh, Verge article here, which is um, a full transcript of a leaked internal Facebook meeting featuring Mark Zuckerberg. And they actually, and the Verge actually had a uh, another uh, a damning piece a few months ago where they investigated a external, uh, an an external uh, what's the word content moderation company, and that 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 basically it's like you know people in a boot, people in an office uh, like setting, they go on Facebook for for the whole work day, and they basically just look at flagged. Um, flagged images and videos and content, and the the shit they get is actually absurd. And the whole article, and also there's a video piece as well on YouTube if you want to go see that as well, which is uh, which is equally just as uh, probably more harrowing actually, considering that they had people on NDAs on non disclosure agreements told you know not to talk about their jobs. And they talk about their jobs, which they're not in now, but they but they, they talk about the mental health uh, implications as well. And it's just, it's just crazy. It really is just crazy thinking about it. But anyway, so let's get into this in particular, because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of 
topics covered here so i just wanted to get into just a few of them not all of them but just a, just a few so the first one i want to talk about is the first one which is on the potential breakup of facebook so for those that aren't into american politics there are certain politicians that are kindly going for president uh, in this particular in this particular piece uh, uh, senator uh, elizabeth warren is mentioned and she has a, a plan i guess an idea or a wanting to uh, basically break up uh, tech companies and, you know, and, and dilute their power, basically, and, and and just make sure, you know, rein them in, like I said. And in this internal interview, uh, Zuckerberg responds pretty much directly to that, that threat, and they consider it a threat, let's be real. So uh, let's just get into what he said right here. Well, actually, let me read the question first, and then we'll get into what Zuckerberg said afterwards. With the recent FCC fine investigation and the rise of politicians like Senator Warren, I was wondering how personally worried you are about regulators coming in and breaking up Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg responds with this. Well, I think you want to separate out a couple of things. Separate out a couple of things. I'm certainly more worried that someone is going to try and break up our company. Now, there's a separate question about, at the end of the day, there's a rule of law, which, for all of con- all of the concern about the direction the country is going in, as someone running a company that operates in a lot of different countries, I have to say one of the things that I love and appreciate about our country the most is that we have a really solid rule of law, which is very different from a lot of pla- other places around the world. So there might be a political movement where people are angry at tech companies or are worried about concentration excuse me, all worried about different issues and worried that they're not being handled well. That doesn't mean that if there's anger and that you have someone like Elizabeth Warren who thinks that the right answer is to break up companies. I mean, if she gets elected president, then I would bet that we have a legal challenge and I would bet that we will win the legal challenge. And does that suck for us? Does that still suck for us? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to have a major lawsuit against our own government, I mean, that's not the position that you want to be in when you're, you know, I mean, it's like, God, this is, it's weird reading it verbatim. Uh, we care about our country and we want to work with our government and do good things. But look, at the end of the day, if someone's going to try and threaten something that's that existential, you go to the mat and you fight. So, yeah, that's um, that, that's, that's just that's straight up right there. Just, um, I guess, a act of... Not defiance, but defensiveness. I guess you know. Just, why would? Why would? Well, you know. What, how? How else would you have answered that? Well, he couldn't have possibly answered that any other way. Um, at the end of the day, Facebook is a business. Facebook is a a large business, a very large business. And when it when it, when it comes to there is there is a lot of um, there is a lot of toes. Uh, that are stepped on when it comes to being a social media conglomerate like this. Um, The reason why people, well, one of the reasons why people find Facebook so troubling and so existentially troubling is that they can and have literally affected how people live, not in the you know, not in the fuddy-duddy way that we that we think about and that most of us use it for in terms of just like you know. Showing some family photos or just, um, I don't know, sharing a little news item or whatever and just go and just just respond to that. But in terms of like, you know, uh, 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 Myanmar and 
the whole thing with that. Like, that was Facebook directly influencing a set of people to 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 basically outcast another set of people in their own country. And, you know, the regardless if the news was fake or not, which most of it was anyway, it still spreads and it's still what... And, and, and that was in the incubator of Facebook. So, now, will breaking up Facebook matter in terms of that? I don't know. We, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not really educated in that kind of uh, thought space, but... It is something worth thinking about, I guess, in terms of just how big Facebook is, and is it really logical for them to be this big? You know, is it is it is it good for us? Maybe 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 not. And actually, as I, as I say that, uh, Zuckerberg continues to this, and I just think the case is not particularly strong on this. It's just that breaking up these companies, whether it's Facebook or Google or Amazon, it's not actually going to solve the issues. And, you know, it doesn't make election interference less likely. It makes it more likely because now the companies can't coordinate and work together. It doesn't make any of the hate speech or issues that are like that less likely. It makes it more likely because now, dot, 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 all the processes that we're putting in place and invested in, now we're more fragmented. It's why Twitter can't do as good of a job as we can, or pop shots of Twitter. Uh, I mean, they face qualitatively the same type of issues, but they can't put in the investment. Our investment on safety is bigger than the whole revenue of their company, laughter. And yeah, we're operating on a bigger scale, but it's not like they face qualitatively different questions. They have all the same type of issues that we do. Yeah, so that was, um, so, so, that, so that's very interesting in terms of how they're thinking about it. Um, so let's move on to the next one, uh, which I want to talk about, which is, <laughs> which is probably a little less serious, uh, but um, it's, it's, it's worth talking about, I guess, because uh, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm fascinated by the concept of TikTok, or, uh, but, I'm, but I am fascinated by the fact that I don't know how big TikTok is. And if I try, if I, if I guess of how big it is, it's probably two times as big as I think it is. <laughs> um, it is what is, a, is a truly weird phenomenon. And, uh, it's, you know what, it's probably the first, it's probably the first thing that I'm not really, uh, what's the word, plugged into. You know, previously it was Vine, right? And... In, even though I didn't have Vine, I didn't have it on my uh, phone at the time. I don't know what my phone was at the time. It was probably the Galaxy S4. But um, yeah, even though I didn't have it at the time, I was still relatively interested in it because there was always, you know, them. Uh, I followed a lot. Well, not a lot, but like a couple of like you know Twitter pages that just showed Vines and just showed funny, funny as hell Vines. And there was a whole ecosystem of that. There was a there was like black Twitter Vines or. A, uh, 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 sports vines, you know, stuff like that. I was really in that. I was, I was in that space, even though I didn't have Vine. Um, but this is different because I, I've, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not in it at all. I'm not in this ecosystem of TikTok at all. Like, I, I just, I'm. Just, this is probably the first time where I'm just really not into a particular social media space like this and uh, of this scale, anyway. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of fascinating to me. But anyway, so Zuckerberg talks about TikTok and uh, the question is, are we concerned about TikTok's growing cultural clout among teens and Gen Z and what is our plan of attack? 
So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I do find uh, verbatim transcriptions very weird reading because because of just when it, when they actually put everything there. So yeah, I mean, and like and stuff like that. It's just it's just really weird. Think it's just really weird reading it out. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, TikTok is doing well. One of the things that's especially notable about TikTok is for a while the internet landscape was kind of a bunch of companies that were primarily primarily American companies. And then there was a this parallel universe of Chinese companies that pretty much were the the only were offering their services in China. And we had Tencent who were trying to spread some of their services in Southeast Asia. Uh, Asia Alibaba has spread a bunch of their payment services to Southeast Asia broadly in terms of global expansion. That has been pretty limited. And TikTok, which is built by a company Beijing ByteDance, is really the first ca- consumer internet product built by one of these ca- Chinese tech giants that is doing quite well around the world. It's starting to do well in the US, especially with young folks. It's growing really quickly in India. I think it's past Instagram now in India in terms of scale. So yeah, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And the way that we kind of think about it is, it's married short form immersive video with browse. So it's almost like the explore tab that we have on Instagram, which is today primarily about feed posts and highlighting different feed posts. I kind of think about TikTok as if it were explore for stories, and that were and that we're the whole app, and that were the whole app. And then you had creators who were specifically working on making that stuff. So we have a number of approaches that we're going to take towards this. We have a product called Lasso. That's a standalone app that we're working on, trying to product market fit in with countries like Mexico. Is I think one of the first initial ones. We're trying to see, we're trying to first see if we can get into, get it to work in countries where TikTok is not or not already big before. We go and compete with TikTok in countries where they are big. We're taking a number of approaches with Instagram, including making it uh, making it so that explorers more focused on stories, which has increasingly become the primary way that people consume content on Instagram, as well as a couple of other things there. But yeah, I think that it's not the only one of the more interesting new phenomenon products that are growing. But in terms of geopolitical implications of what they're doing, I think it's quite interesting. Um, I don't know how to react to that in terms of using Instagram, because I use Instagram regularly, um, you know, on a daily basis, so I check it a couple of times a day, and I don't do that, I don't, I don't, I don't discover stories, you know, I, I look at, this, I look at, I mute a lot of stories, to be honest, <laughs> I mute, I mute, I mute a, a good few of them, um, uh, there's only about, probably about 50 that I, you know, that I actually, um, keep up with so you know it's, I don't I don't really find stories all that interesting if I don't follow the person I guess or follow, follow the company or whatever it is you know so discovering other stories isn't really my vibe so if they're actually going down that road that road and trying to compete with TikTok in that sense I well for me personally I don't really rate but um hey you know I'm not I clearly I'm not that I'm not I'm not a youngin like that anymore where I just I do find it so weird to me I really do this is just this is in real time I'm just wondering how the hell am I not plugged into this and I'm not and I don't really care to be honest I just don't care I I really don't want to be plugged in I'm plugged into enough things to be honest so uh yeah we shall see how that goes I guess um if TikTok actually takes over the world you never know 
big up China. So there are several more uh, topics to be covered on here, uh, inclu- including the recent acquisition of、uh, Neuralink, and I mean, please go look at that. Please look that up because Jesus Christ, the 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 plans they have for that is actually super worrying. <laughs> but I wanted, but since I mentioned the uh, Verge uh, content moderation stories,、uh, I might as well. Talk about this particular bit that they actually talk about.、Uh, they actually mention it verbatim. So uh, uh, we shall、uh, let's just get into that, and then we'll continue well with the show.、Um, as we know, Facebook receives a lot of content, millions of posts every hour. But because of this, Facebook has recently started outsourcing some of its moderation、uh, capabilities to different companies. Well, in an article、uh, earlier this summer, came up by The Verge, exposing some of the mental health, mental. Emotional abuses experienced、uh, experienced by the outside these outside contractors. I was wondering what is Facebook's plan to protect these contractors from what can be seen as the worst the internet has to offer. So yeah, this is this is going to be interesting.、Um, he says, yeah, this is an important area where we're, that we're focused on. We work we work with a different outside firm, so that way we can scale up and down and work quickly and be more flexible on that. It's one of the main reasons we do it around the world in different places. Get people to work in、uh, all the different languages. Yada yada yada. I'm just going to continue on.、Uh, some of the reports I think are a little overdramatic. From digging into them and understanding what's going on, it's not that most people are look are just looking at terrible things all day long, but there are really bad things that people have to deal with. And making sure that people get the right counselling and space and ability to take breaks and the mental health support that they need is a really important thing. It's something we've worked on for years, and are always trying to probe and understand how we can do a better job to support that. Um, yeah. So, I don't really know how you can see that as overdramatic. I don't know how you can see the report done by the Verge and the reporting by the by the Verge and just go,、mm, "That's a bit overdramatic." It the shit they describe. I mean, I mean, I really do think you guys should go see it because it's just. It really is absurd, and I assure you, if Mark Zuckerberg was、uh, asked to, you know, be a content moderator for a day, he would most likely be going, "Oh my days, this is as worse than I thought." <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it is silly, but、um, yeah, I just wanted to give this a little, a little light because I think just the 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 again the amount of power Facebook has is. Actually, absurd. And if they were, if and if they were cut, as cutthroat as Amazon, oi, oi, we would be in a, we would be in a very, very, very interesting world. And you know what? If regardless of the fact that they're not as cutthroat as Amazon is as, with their e-commerce,、um, it, it, it's, it's only a matter of time before you know they, the ideas they put, they are putting through right now. Come to into fruition, and yeah, I'm. Yeah, you're just gonna have to make a decision whether you're just gonna be into it and lean into it, or just become a luddite like I'm increasingly am. R.I.P. Headphone Jack. <laughs> So we move on to film and TV. What is this music? It's kind of both, actually.、Um, even though, even though I have two live topics of sports and this, this is this is kind of film, but also music. 
so I don't really know how to slice it, but it's it's kind of both. So we'll just we'll just consider it film and music. And uh, I'm not cheating. It's not a cheating. It really is just how it seems. So uh, well, you know you know what I mean when we get into it. So. This is this is an article from Vox uh, by Constance Grady, and well, actually, did I say who the transcript was by? Actually, let me just say that because I want to want to provide the hype. Uh, Casey Newton of The Verge, by the way, for the uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, transcript. So I just want to get that out of the way. But yes, this is by Constance Grady of the uh, of Vox, and uh, this is called Jennifer Lopez's Body. A very succinct title, and. Um, you're wondering where I'm going to go with this, but trust me, it's, it's very interesting. I gave it a read. Uh, I gave it a read a couple of days ago, and I was just like, "Hmm, I get it. I get, I get it. I really understand this." So, yeah. So let's let's just jump right in. And before I do, actually, it's titled Jennifer Lopez's body, right? But it has Z and then apostrophe S. Is that grammar right? Because usually when it's like S and Z. Some instances, you know, uh, uh, you know, possessive kind of term. It usually just has the, you know, you don't add another s to it. So if it was, um, uh, it was a, uh, uh, I don't know, a name. I can't think of a name with s at the end. If if it was, it was a name with s at the end, right? Or in this case, a z. Would you just put a apostrophe there, or would you put an s past that? I don't know. But just a gram. Just I'm being a grammar guy right now. I don't know why I'm doing this. But anyway. So let's get into this uh, article, because I found it super interesting. Uh, for most of Jennifer Lopez's career, Jennifer Lopez has been, has been seen less as an actress or a singer or a dancer than as a body. That's not to say she's bad at acting or singing or dancing, or that no one knows she's good at them. JLo has the classic triple threat breakdown, and she's won critical and commercial acclaim for her work across all three of her media. Uh, she was hugely acclaimed for her work in 1997 Selena, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe. Billboard put her on the list of the greatest dance club artists of all time. It's a very specific list. The best dance club uh, artists. What? Dance is club, isn't it? Is it? No, no. I just don't. I don't want to get into that. Uh, that the genre genre. Uh, a batter, beating around the bush. Uh, she has two Grammy nominations. But for all those accomplishments, for most of Lopez's career, the discourse around her has been less about her body of work than it has been about her body. Very, very nice. That was, that was a very nice uh, sentence right there. I find all 66 caramel-coloured inches of Jennifer Lopez's lying face down on a poolside chaise uh, begins a profile of Lopez from 1998. Wow, that was... Um, <laughs> Should I just click the hyperlink and just see if it was written by a dude? Because it sounds like it. Anyway, <laughs> carrying on for that a quote. Her bikini top is slightly loosened. Her nether regions are towel draped, and a masseuse is kneading oil into into the preci- precipitous peaks and valleys of her formidable body. Her skin glints as if it were flecked with twenty-four karat gold. Wow. Okay. And the, Jesus Christ. And then there's her body, wrote Dream Hampton of Lopez in Vibe in 1999. Her butt, in particular, has overshadowed her formidable acting ability. It is written about, photographed lovingly, with her cooperation, of course. It is used as an example in teen mags for girls and grown women's uh, fashion tomes of a changing body ideal. Jennifer Lopez's body has been a major cultural shorthand for ideas about sex, race, class, and gender norms for more than 20 years now. 
Her body in that famous green Versace gown from the 2000 Grammys red carpet led to the creation of Google Images. Directors go out of their way to centre her butt in their movies. Lopez herself has eagerly participated in the world's focus on her body, but she's also occasionally registered some ambivalence about it. When she was when she was on the come up, she tended to explicitly rely on her curves to distinguish her from actresses striving after the heroin chic uh, look that was in vogue in Hollywood at the time. In that 1998 movie line profile, she says that she'd like to be known as the butt girl because quote that separates me from everyone else unquote. But by the 1999 Vibe article, she'd already started to get tired of the press's uh, focus on her rear. Quote, I would love to read an article where it's not even mentioned, unquote. But by then, it was already too late. The world's obsession with Lopez's body only grew. This year's focus narrows in on the fact that at 50 years old, Jennifer Lopez still has the body to believably play a stripper and pull off an even skimpier version of her iconic Versace dress. We talk about JLo's body so much that there is a thriving academic subdiscipline of peer-reviewed articles on the discourse about Jennifer Lopez, her body, and especially her butt? What? Peer-reviewed articles, yeah? Wow. Now that is a fascinating fact. I didn't even know. That's crazy. Imagine... Wow. Okay. Just imagine essays on just us. What? What is that a thing? That is, that is great. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm getting I'm getting too hyped for this. Uh, Hustlers, the new stripper movie in which Lopez's performances uh, performance has already started to generate Oscar buzz. It is also interested in Jennifer Lopez's body. But what makes Hustlers different and a huge part of what makes Lopez's performance in it so compelling is that it's not interested in Lopez's body as a fetishized, fetishized object. It is interested in the labour that Lopez does not does with her body and the capital that she produces with it. Here's how Hustlers started a new conversation about Jennifer Lopez's artistry. <laughs> I nearly said artistry. <laughs> uh, by focusing on her body as part of the work. None of what Jennifer Lopez does in Hustlers looks easy. That's the point. Lopez gets the diva entrance in Hustlers, a big hyped-up showstopper that comes after we've already spent some time with them in the movie's world and know what it looks like and how it works. It's the kind of character introduction that tells us that we, now that we've gotten comfortable, we're ready to meet the character who is key to the film, uh, the way op- the way film, to the way the film operates. There's no the. That's a poor sentence. That needs to be edited. Uh, the diva is one of, is the one who sets the plot in motion, who is so charismatic that everyone else defers to them. Lopez is playing Ramona, one of the old guard strippers at a club where Destiny, played by Constance Wu, is the new girl. Before Ramona appears, we've already seen Destiny get the lay of the land. She's done a little amateur spin around one of the poles and given a few dead-eyed lap dances. But it's clear that Destiny doesn't fully understand how to make all of the money she needs to get out of this club. Her tips are meagre, and management is ripping her off and taking away most of uh, most of what little she's earned. She doesn't yet have the tools she needs to survive in this world. Lopez's Ramona does. Hustlers is about a mo- is a movie about labor and about the labor that goes into Jennifer Lopez's body. And part of what makes Lopez so good in this movie is that she brings uh, with her decades of cultural baggage around her body, around all the ways pop cultures have pop culture has drooled over and fetishized. I can't. I struggle saying that word. Her body all around, uh, around all the ways we flanned her image, uh, but into into nothing but body without a person inside it. Then Hustlers says, 
Okay, now take that body seriously, recognize the labor that goes into making this body, recognize the capital that this body is made, excuse me, recognize that there's a human being doing all of this, that there has always been a human being there for the past 25 years. In response, the way we talk about Lopez's body has changed. We've begun to talk less about her body as an object and more about the work her body does. Quote, the Lopez's work in Hustlers always allow, also allows her to showcase some impressive physicality, writes Dan David Canfield at EW. Uh, Scafaria has a habit of just holding the camera on the actress while she performs, particularly in that grand entrance, which, has, which is as much as a demonstration of strenuous body work as anything else. Lopez knows when to live in her character's skin. She doesn't ring a false note and when to show her work. Hustler seems to have freed Lopez from the discourse around her famous body by allowing Lopez and her body to become subjects rather than objects. The movie represents the opening of a new chapter in Jennifer Lopez's career, and that's why it's so subversive. Um, so this is kind of, I think, a good... Um, what's the word? A good, uh, I guess, microscope into why this film has done so well and even and and partly why Lopez has been getting the Oscar buzz I mean I haven't seen the film just to say but if 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 a if a heist film which in some way is um you know uh, if you know crime heist eh, you know in in that kind of realm um and it's obviously an all-female cast well main cast anyway with led by Lopez, um, it, it gives it gives a notion that this couldn't have been as good as it was, partly without Jennifer Lopez, or at least the cultural baggage that mentioned in the article adds a lot more to this, where we don't where even though we don't see it as Jennifer Lopez playing as Jennifer Lopez per se, we do see it as Jennifer Lopez playing a character that she is embodying very well and because of that we are starting to subconsciously switch up how we think or how we see and think about Jennifer Lopez um so yeah, I think um, I think the fact that it is Jennifer Lopez adds a lot more deme- a lot more uh, context to this particular film and to the especially the to the particular role there's actually a video on the uh, embedded on the actual article where it's like a, a mini documentary on Jennifer Lopez learning how to uh, how to pole dance basically and and how to and how she did that uh, uh, apparently a major major scene in the beginning of the film um so yeah is it is, is a interesting i wouldn't say it's a marketing ploy but it is very interesting of how the film and and how people and critics and writers and uh, people in film are talking about this film and especially Jennifer Lopez's uh, performance. And with that said, Jennifer Lopez as a person, because obviously she's been she she's had a lot of uh, uh, what's the word uh, eyes, a lot of gazes. Um, sometimes put, sometimes put on her, uh, unwillingly, sometimes willingly, but like, like the article said, it might be, it might just be a new chapter in Jennifer Lopez's life where 
she can be taken seriously all the time and not just some of the time. So we move on to sport and this is something that I've been wanting to talk about on the show uh, just for, for since in the past week to be honest. Um, so I've been watching the uh, 2019 World Athletics Championships which is currently being hosted in Doha, Qatar. Now if you are, if you are a regular listener of this show you remember the sports washing um, episode that I did way back, uh, way back in the year, maybe in last year, to be honest, uh, it, was, it was very, I knew it was very early in what's good's, uh, uh, lifespan, but, um, I do find, I, I, I really do find this flux in, you know, uh, Middle Eastern money being pumped into already established sports and already established organizations and, and it being, and then taking hold of it, even though there isn't much either interest in it or um, caring for the product, I guess. Um, you know, with the the sports washing case and the sports washing uh, concept that has been brought up in the past few years has been more focused on football. Um, obviously with Man City and the fact that the World Cup is being hosted also in Qatar, funny enough, uh, next year. Um, the stadium that the Athletics is using right now is, is actually going to be one of the stadiums used for the World Cup. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing and it's all in the same umbrella. Obviously, Athletics isn't as popular as football and that's just something that needs to be, I, I think, before I get into this article, uh, uh, it, it put put forward um, and uh, and recognised, but this story really just does annoy me, and is kind of the whole point of why I I don't really enjoy any of this, and why I'm currently watching the athletics in the past week or so is is why I've been uh, why I've had a, 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 a icky taste in my mouth, the fact that it's in Doha. And also the World Cup, especially going especially when it comes to the World Cup, you know, people have died building the stadiums, and the stadiums are still being built, and they're just, they're just, I can't, I can't really ignore that kind of stuff. But anyway, so this particular article is uh, by Sean Ingle uh, of the Guardian. This is dire in Doha World Championships catastrophe leaves athletics reeling. <sighs> Moments after the greatest 10.83 seconds of Dina Asher Smith's life, the British uh, sprinter grabbed a Union flag from her mother Julie and began a lap of honour to celebrate her World Championship 100 metre silver medal. But as she trotted around the 40,000-seat Khalifa Stadium in Doha on Sunday night, she was greeted by banks of empty seats and ghostly silence. Observers reckoned there were no more than 1,000 people still in attendance and many of them were journalists tapping away to deadline. Asher Smith's uh, mother later tweeted she had seen more spectators at an English Athletics Age Group Championships in Bedford. Asher Smith's uh, teammate Beth Dobbin was even more blunt. Quote, I, I watched Dina's victory lap and it, that was a bit heartbreaking because what she did was insane and there was no one there. Unquote. I feel like she was robbed of the moment, of that moment. Unquote. The organisers have since blamed the start of the working week 
and an event schedule designed for European TV audiences. Okay, so let's stop there. Um, let me let me let me ask you this: What when has there ever, until uh, maybe the past five, maybe past ten years, but probably most f- last five, right? When has there been a a really genuine, you know, audience in Qatar for athletics? So, you know, saying that, oh, 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 it's, it's, I blame the schedule which is designed for European... T- yeah, because, you know, that's where most of the athletics audience is. You know, most, that's where most of the audience is. It's not It's not in the Middle East. It really isn't. I, 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 re- I could bet you it isn't. <laughs> I could bet you most of, the, most of the audiences are in places like Germany, the UK, the US, Canada maybe, Brazil maybe. You know, it's just... It's it's not in it's not it's not there. Africa, of course, Ethiopia, Kenya, you know, it's it's not in the Middle East. It's not. So to say that the schedule should be blamed here, no, no, because why would you? Why would you? And also weather. Do you know they did the marathon at midnight? The the the, the women's marathon ended at three a.m. Qatari time. Three a.m. and that was because of that was because of heat. Because it couldn't, because they had to wait for it to be to go to a certain temperature, and even in that, people uh, runners still were. Some of them were wheeled off in wheelchairs and stretches. So, you know, it's 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 not really it's not really scheduling's fault, is it? It's the fact that it's a bitch ass hot country, and these people are trying to run for twenty seven miles or twenty six miles, whatever a uh, whatever a uh, marathon is. I forget. So to blame all that is rubbish to me. But anyway, continuing on. But that cannot hide the simple fact these World Athletic Championships have been a PR disaster for athletics, for the sports president Sebastian Coe and for Qatar, a country which has spent the past decade buying up rights to host major events, including the 2022 World Football World Cup. Even Denise Lewis, the 2000 Olympic heptathlon champion, who is not known for controversial controversial views, has stuck the boot in, telling the BBC, quote, our governing body has let our athletes down massively. Meanwhile, Eurosport, which, uh, which holds Olympic TV rights across Europe, also embarked the lack of crowd for the women's sprint final. Quote, the Doha crowd roars with approval, it tweeted, with a gif of a tumbleweed. It's all of our cry from the promises made by Qatar in its first bid for these championships in 2011. Quote, no empty seats, the prospectus said, adding that the atmosphere surrounding the world championships will be fantastic. That a pledge was, that always looked spurious. Spurious, sorry. Uh, but at least it was made several years ago. Co, who was on the evaluation com- commission that inspected Doha's bid for the 2019 championships and is reported to have later voted for it, said he hoped it would be spectacular just a few days ago. Instead, the stadium has often looked at least half empty, even though large parts of it have been covered with fabric and the capacity reduced to 21,000. And that is despite attendances being bolstered by organisers giving thousands of migrant workers from Africa and India free tickets. On Monday, they claimed that attendances have been solid for the past two days at around 70%, but conceded, quote, numbers were down on our expectations on day three, with the start of the working week in Qatar. It added, quote, The challenge we face with the competition schedule that is geared to support global TV viewership is that some finals are not starting until the late evening. This impacts on the number of spectators remaining until the end of the session. We are confident that our renewed efforts will encourage the local community to come and witness a stunning performance of the world's best athletes. 
We know it's a balance and we are pleased global viewers can tune in to watch the live action from Doha. This, though, was a disaster foretold after Doha was controversially awarded the championships, having offered £23.5 million towards extra sponsorship and a promise to build 10 new tracks around the world minutes before the vote in 2014 when it defeated Eugene and Barcelona. The former IAAF board member Helmut Deagle called it incomprehensible. However, Jose Maria Odria Zola, a Spanish IAAF executive well-versed in the lingua franca of sports politics, cut to the heart of the matter. All Doha have is money, he said. All Doha has is money. That's kind of it. That's kind of it. I, sh- I probably should stop there, but I'll just finish up the article just just because. For many sports federations, that is enough, whatever the athletes may think. Yet with every passing hour, more of them are vo- voicing discontent. The French decathlete Kevin Meyer, the world's rec- world record holder, has called the championships a catastrophe. Other athletes have claimed they are being treated as guinea pigs by a governing body that has forced marathon runners and race walkers to compete in 31 degree heat and high humidity which has led to some being carried off the course in wheelchairs. There you go. There you go. I just, I just said it, and then the article said it. As Belarus's Volhar Mazurinak, uh, who, who finished fifth in the women's marathon in early hours of Saturday morning, put it, quote, I thought I wouldn't finish. It's disrespect towards the athletes. A bunch of high-ranked officials gathered and decided it would take the championships, world championships here, but they are sitting in the cool, and they are probably sleeping right now. No one doubts that track and field has lost most of the momentum gained from the 2017 London World Championships, which were watched by 750,000 people in the flesh and millions more on television. On Sunday evening, Adam Jamini admitted it had been a weird event, adding it makes the British Championships look quite good. A colleague, uh, the race walker Tom Bosworth, was even more cutting. The only people carrying this sports are athletes, he said. The IAAF truly should be ashamed. However, Coe continues to maintain that track and field must venture into new territories to help spread the word. To tell that to the 1,972 athletes from 208 countries here in Doha, for many this will be the pinnacle of their careers. How sad then that he has turned into a nadir for their sport. And this is it. That last point, that is really it. Like the fact that, you know, for Dina Rasha Smith, right? I've 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 watched her career blossom in the past few years, right? I'm a, I'm really into athletics, and and you guys know that. Uh, I wouldn't be talking about it if I wasn't. You know, this is this is this particular silver medal and the potential gold that is going that she's going to get in the 200 meters as of this recording uh, later tonight, or even or even has it passed 20? When was it? Oh, I forgot the time of it, but anyway, it, it, the silver medal in the 100 meters at the time of this recording is her biggest moment of her career. And so will the 200 meter gold if she ha- if she gets it because it's kind of got a name on it already. So if she loses it then I'm going to be very very surprised. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm I'm not going to edit this out because this that is just uncanny as shit. I'm not going I forgot to put my phone on silent. I will apologize for that. But the notification that came up is absolutely glorious. Dean Asher Smith wins World Athletics Championships 200 meter gold to make history for Great Beard. So can so just <laughs> that is so uncanny. That is the most uncanny new breaking news I have ever gotten in my life. That is absolutely crazy. Okay, so let me rephrase that. 
<laughs> so firstly, congratulations to Dean Asher-Smith for winning the World 200 Meter Gold. You fully deserve it and you're an amazing athlete and an amazing ambassador for the sport. I would just say that. Okay, so continuing on with what I was talking about. That is absolutely crazy. I can't get over that. So the 100 meters and now the 200 meter gold uh, and the 100 meter silver was is her best moment of her career and probably of her life, right? She had a lap of honour in front of nobody. It was so depressing to look at a few days ago, right? She was She was waving the flag about, right? And just walking about... And even the BBC crew, broadcasting crew that were, you know, analysing what, excuse me, uh, what just happened, uh, Michael Johnson, Denise Lewis, Gabby Logan at the time, they were clapping for her while they were talking, and she saw them. She saw them. They were in the balcony, and she saw them and noticed them and recognised their clapping. That would not happen anywhere else. That would not happen anywhere else. This is a money. This is a money issue. And this is a absolute sad look. This is a sad look. And, you know, it w- it should be a sad look for FIFA as well and for football. But because it's football and there are many other things uh, that, and, you know, that, that swirl around that is not the World Cup. You know, there's, there's also the, you know, the leagues themselves, the national leagues and Champions League and all that and all that. You know they're 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 constantly talked about, and they and the FIFA World Cup is not in the cycle. The World Championships, World Athletics Championships, is constantly talk about talked about. You know, World Championships, Olympics, World Championships, Olympics. That is, that's usually the two things that most athletes go for. That most athletics athletes go for. That, that's all they see. That's all. That's all they have on their on their mirror, right? When they wake up in the morning, that's what they're looking at. World Championships this year. Olympics next year, World Championships, Olympics, World Championships, Olympics. That's all they focus on, right? You know, you know, Raheem Sterling ain't looking at the World Cup right now. He's still looking at Man City stuff. He's st- he's looking at Champions League. He's looking at other Prem, another FA Cup maybe. You know, that's what they that's what footballers look forward to, right? They don't always have they don't always look at the World Cup until it is the year of that cup, right? They look at it from very far from very close close by. Athletics uh, athletes have to look at the World Championships and the Olympics, you know, constantly. They never stop thinking about it. So this has much more weight to them than a World Cup does. And that's not saying, that's not me saying that the Athletics World Championships is more prestigious than the World Cup. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for the people who are part of it, they hold it more to themselves than the other. Okay. People, there are many footballers that have lived, that have had their careers and have had amazing careers without a World Cup. Okay, there are many of them, but all of the athletics legends, all of the British ones, all the American ones, all whatever country you want to pick, all of their legacies ride on the World Championships and the Olympics, and the fact that the IWF have basically hoed out their their athletes right now to go to Doha, which has no pedigree. And what Sebco said about, you know, you know, tr- going to new places is bullshit. Absolute bullshit. And it's, and it's kind of the same with F1 in a way. 
but not as um, I guess politically charged because they're they're going to Vietnam next year, and you know. I couldn't care less, to be honest. I'd rather go back to Malaysia. That's just me, um, in terms of just entertainment and track track quality. But um, but this is this is a pure this is a pure, pure hoeing. This is a pure money move. Um, to say that you know we're trying to reach new audiences. No, 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 no. That is up to the athletes. If they have Qatari athletes, which they do now, they have like Mutas Jabarshim, they also have uh, 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 Samba, who's an amazing uh, 400 uh, hurdler. You know, if they have the athletes, then by all means, by all means, have them bid. But they didn't at the time, they didn't at 2011. There were none. There were none, at, no Qatari athletes uh, of note at 2011. So to give them that, to give them the bid at that, at that time was a pure money move. It still is a pure money move. And the fact that people are the record number of people, not even just in not even just in the race walking and the marathon, people have been walking off in wheelchairs uh, in the stadium, <clears throat> in the stadium. So it's absurd. It is absurd. It is life threatening, and is also just completely diminishing the legacies of some of uh, of some people in their eyes, in their own eyes. Because I I, I guarantee you. Dina Asher Smith for the amazing work that she has done in the past week. Looking at that non-existent crowd must have been, must have been so, so bittersweet, so bittersweet that in any other, not any other country, but in any country of note, if they did it in Eugene, oh yes, there would be a sold-out crowd constantly. Trust me on that. Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon, you think there wouldn't be? Barcelona? <clears throat> Definitely. No doubt about it. Sold out crowds, okay? If it was in those two, she would have the crowd clapping for her. But there was no one there other than Gabby Logan, Michael Johnson, and Denise Lewis from the balcony. She clocked them. That is absolutely sad. And... You know, IWF, simply put, eat a dick, to be honest. Sebco, eat a dick. There you go. I said it. I said it on wax. And big up Dean Rash to be I can't believe that 200 meter gold. Oh my god. <laughs> Yo, that is crazy. Absolutely crazy. So we end the show with our second and uh, uh, second live topic and last topic of the episode. Uh, it's a Black History Month related article uh, because I just wanted to do that, of course. You, you guys saw that coming, and this is about this is about Black radicalism, and specifically books about Black radicalism. So this is uh, this is via the Guardian by uh, Kahindi Andrews, who has recently uh, written a book himself uh, about. Uh, well, he actually says it in he actually says in the article, so I'll let him uh, speak for it, but. Um, he basically lists like a top ten books about black radicalism, and uh, I just thought it'd be interesting uh, learning topic. And uh, yeah, that's what that's what we're here for, as always. We're here to learn, so let's get into it. This is by Kahindi Andrews. Let's get into it. Uh, as we enter into as we enter into oh, that's, that's a poor start. <laughs> the annual celebration of all things black for a month. 
It is the perfect time for a reminder of the diversity in black political thought. We have disagreed with each other more than we have with white people, and there uh, exist a number of different ways that we have understood and fought for liberation. <laughs> the politics of black radicalism are misunderstood and misrepresented. Uh, mis- yeah, misrepresented, I said that right. Often written off as anti-white, violent, and led by men intent on dominating women, in this lazy caricature we have dismissed one of the most important political movements and the aim of my book, Back to Black, is to reclaim black radicalism, which is which is as vital for this generation as it has ever been. Malcolm X best articulates black radicalism, which seeks nothing short of a re- revolution to overturn the racist social order. He is not featured on the list because there is no single book that captures the range and depth of his social theory. In remembering Malcolm, we have enshrined the stereotype of black radicals while ignoring the political program. Uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, written by Alex Haley, is the most guilty of this cultivation of his image, purposefully leaving out the account of the organization of Afro-American Unity, the proje- very project Malcolm was working at when he, when he died. Subsequent collections of speeches highlight the version of Malcolm that the editor wanted to portray. To truly appreciate Malcolm X, listen to his speeches. Ten books do provide a good basis for understanding the politics of black radicalism. Oh. Now, I'm just going to read out the top ten and then get into a couple of them, um, just for time thing, uh, time reasons and... Uh, yeah, so let me just get into the whole top ten, so you just know what they are. Uh, Stokely speaks from the Black Power from Black Power to Pan Africanism by Kwame Tour of uh, 1971. Garvey and Garveyism by Amy Jacques Garvey 1963. Uh, Africa Must Unite by Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, Beyond Containment by Claudia Jones, uh, Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James, Asata, an autobiography by Asata Shakur, uh, The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, uh, The Revolution Has Come by Robin Spencer, Revolution in Guinea by Amilcar Cabral, and Black Feminist Thought by Patricia Hill Collins. So, I'm just getting to a couple of them. Uh, that of note that I, I find uh, interesting from reading this uh, off the you know just the little little uh, uh, paragraphs uh, he's given here. So let me get into Garvey and Garveyism here, right? So this is uh, dropped in 1963. Universal Negro Impa- uh, Improvement Association, founded in 1914, grew into the largest grew into largest and most influential black political organization of all time. At its peak, it had millions of members across the African diaspora, long before the days of social media or even widespread use of the telephone. Marcus Garvey is credited with the rise of the organization, but black women were the backbone of the movement, representing more than half of the membership. Amy Jacques Garvey uh, was indispensable to the organization and curated the memory of her husband in both the philosophy and opinions and in Garvey and Garveyism, which also in- includes her own writing. So I just find that so fascinating, uh, just thinking about that. And uh, Asata, and also uh, an autobiography by Asata Shakur. This is dropped in 1987, right? Uh, Shakur's story has continued uh, to inspire a generation of activists convicting of killing uh, a state trooper in 1973, a charge she has always denied after years of abuse and giving birth in prison. She managed to escape in 1979. To this day, Shakur lives, uh, lives with political asylum in Cuba, as well as an inspiration, she is reminded that the system she fought is alive and well. And a more recent one I'll get into, uh, The Revolution Has Come by Robert Spencer in 2016. 
excuse me, uh, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was one of the most important liberation movements of the 20th century, but also had an intellectual impact. It was almost impossible to choose between Hugh B. Newton's revolutionary suicide, Bobby Seale's seize of time, and Elaine Brown's a taste of power for an account from the Panthers themselves. However, Spencer's book provides an excellent overview of the birth of the movement, its impact, and importantly, the role uh, importantly, the role of women who comprise more than 60% of the party's membership. Now, this is something... Now, the the, the inclusion of women here, I think, is very telling. Um, obviously, I've only picked out three out of the ten. But the I've, I, I do think that the importance of women in most of these movements of, of, of history um, is always understated. Always understated. Um when when it really is a case of um well not even that actually i was going to say binary man is a great woman and stuff like that but that's very cliched but sometimes it's really just a great woman's there it really, it really is all there is to it it's just um it's just the said this is a great woman's there and she's being great and uh i think that's something that if you're taking anything away from this obviously this is a very short part of the a uh, very short uh segment in terms of in terms of the overall scheme of things, and probably deserves a lot more time. But uh, if if you're if you're going to come away with anything from this, from what I'm saying here, what I've, or what I've covered uh, from this particular part of the segment uh, show, is that black women do a lot, and more than they get, and they, more than they get credit for, uh, way more. So, uh, salute to black women, of course, and. Uh, you know, if you ever get into reading one of those, let me know because I'm I'm very interested in your in your in your thoughts about it. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of What's Good. God, we're nearing episode fifty. Jesus, that's scary. But, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode uh, from the Fifth Home Podcast Network. I'm Charlie Taylor. This has been What's Good. Uh, intro music is too much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find both of their. Uh, music catalogue via Bandcamp in the links below. Shout out to Chill Music for the ability to use their music. Uh, you can also find their Bandcamp link in the description below. And that's pretty much it. Hope you have a good weekend, everyone. I shall try and do the same. Happy Black History Month. And until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.